Lord, what an honor to come before you in praise and thanksgiving. Earlier this morning, I was reminded so much of the, the great privilege we have of being able to worship one who is so easy to worship because of his love, because of his goodness, because of his holiness and purity, because of his kindness and generosity. Because of his unabandoned pursuit to win, to transform his children that were once lost and those who still are. What a privilege and a joy. We thank you, Lord. We exalt Thee. We exalt Thee. We Yes, Lord, we exalt you here in this place, in our homes, we exalt you. During the week, wherever we may find ourselves, let's take those moments just to stop, to acknowledge him and exalt him, especially when the pressure is on. But also when we're feeling free and alive. Such a privilege, such an honor. May it form such a uh, significant part in our walk with you, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> oh, so good to worship with other people, isn't it? <laughs> Wonderful. Um, just before um, we uh, get James and, and Rich is going to come read to us in a moment, but I, I neglected to say something earlier, which is that we've, um, appointed, we've made a new appointment. Um, this has gone out by email, but just to say verbally that within our um, operations area department, and um, we've appointed um, Danny Taylor, the wife of Nick, one of the uh, our children's um, head of kids for um, community children, 
Um, she is going to be uh, taking on an, an administrator role alongside running the kind of intern program. And she brings a wealth of experience um, in this area of, of having done high-level uh, administration. So we're really thrilled uh, to be able to let you know that news. And um, uh, I'm sure you will have some interactions with her over the course of the year. I'm not sure when her starting date is. Do we have one? Mid-April, so very soon. Thank you. So that's great news. But uh, we're continuing in a series we started last week in Intimacy with God. And I'm going to invite Richard to bring our reading to us this morning. Richard, thank you. Good morning, lovely people. Um, the, the reading this morning is from the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 2 and verses 4 to 8. This is the account of the heavens and earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you that you're here. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for leading us by your presence through the last year or so. And thank you for your goodness. Thank you for being kind and gentle to us. And we just pray as we turn to your word now that, Holy Spirit, you would come and teach us all more about you, Lord. Let my words fade away, but let you speak to our hearts, we pray. Let us read your word under your presence. And may you change us as we go forth with you at the center of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody mumbled to themselves behind their mask. <laughs> Amen. Amen. As Jim said, I'm, I'm going to speak uh, part two on intimacy, uh, intimacy with God. And um, if you, I'm not going to do a big intro, so if you missed it, Missed the three wise men a week ago. Do pick it up because that's on YouTube, as everything is now. And um, if you are watching this uh, via YouTube, uh, you're going to see a bunch of scriptures in the live chat uh, so that you can follow along. So I'm going to start in Genesis 2, and then we're going to tour through um, a fair few scriptures. So they should appear on the screen if you're here in church this morning, um, but they'll be on the live chat if you want to just follow us through. So... Um, that's how we're going to approach it. And if you are watching this from home, I've got to say, everybody's looking okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say whether everybody's put some weight on or, or whatever. Some of the hair's looking a bit longer. Uh, and uh, bring on when the hairdresser's open on the 12th of April, uh, if anyone could get in. 
Um, but it's good to be back, isn't it? Do you know, God has given us an individual relationship with him, but perhaps one thing we've forgotten just in recent times, uh, but has been reminded over the past year, is that our relationship with God is not only directly into our hearts by his spirit, but also uh, formed when we come together as God's people. Jew and Gentile brought by the blood of Jesus, according to the book of Ephesians, and there God makes his dwelling place. And so there's a special anointing when we come together, which you can feel it this morning, and it's quite emotional uh, being together, isn't it? So here's the question I'm going to ask you, and ask again at the end. When we think about intimacy with God, where do you want to be as we emerge out of COVID with God and with one another for the sake of the world? What is God doing with you? When we talk about intimacy, we're all going to hear that through our own filters, but when we, what we're talking about is closeness with God, union with God, oneness with him. So where, where would you like to be in your relationship with him? And how is he calling you to grow just over the next few weeks? You know, the whole world is starting to think, how is life going to be different when we come out of COVID? But I really feel like what God is releasing right now is such a depth and a closeness with him for his church, for you and I. Like never before. And I love it because actually it's been a challenge the last year. But as the Bible says, God works in all things for the good of those who love him. And I honestly think that we're going to come out of this as limitations fall, closer with God, walking with him in a more united way, hearing his voice more clearly, knowing his love more deeply, being more surrendered to him than ever before. And that intimacy, that union is going to be displayed in us for the sake of how we love and serve people around us. So what does that look like according to the Bible? Let's turn to Genesis chapter 2, where we're going to begin. In Genesis chapter 1, you've got the macro vision of how the world was made. You've got God as creator, the divine, the one who has no beginning, has no end, who out out of himself decides to make the heavens and the earth. And you've got that big picture in chapter 1. And in chapter 2, it zooms in very closely. And we find the specifics of how human beings were formed. How God took the dust from the ground and face to face with Adam looks into human beings and breathes life into the dust of the ground and so Adam became a living human being. And just step back a minute. We're so used to the Bible, aren't we? But just step back and just ponder that for a moment. God, if we believe he exists, out of himself, God not needing us, not needing planet Earth, 
God out of himself deciding to create and not just going, you know, or not just kind of channeling power, but God drawing so close and looking into the eyes of Adam and breathing into his nostrils. We had a kebab last night. And Louise informed me this morning that our bedroom was not the sweetest smelling place. (laughs) Not because of her, I hasten to add. But you know when you're so close to somebody, the very scent of their breath. (laughs) Imagine God, the creator, breathing everything that he is, life. All the things that portray life, goodness, joy, Peace, mercy, creativity, holiness, sacredness, breathing that into the very dust of the ground. And so Adam became. You know, it's so close, isn't it? And that's our picture of oneness or intimacy with God right at the beginning. Adam and God together, face to face. And God then forms woman, and he sets them together. If you skip on through chapter 2, he sets them together, verse 22 in Genesis chapter 2. The rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. We see God acting as a parent here. It doesn't use the word father, but you can imagine a father watching over his children and bringing them together in kindness for one another. And what do they become? They become one flesh, verse 24. Man and woman utterly united together. Not just simply physically, but one flesh describing spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, in union, in harmony, in unison, together. And God, watching over that, with love and with delight, bringing them together. You know, if, if you've ever, and most of you won't have, but Jim will, if you've ever done the wedding of somebody, you get the privilege for a few moments of standing at the front, seeing two people coming together and pledging their lives forever and ever and ever. And I've got to say, every wedding I do, you just catch the holy delight of God where two people come together in his presence and become one. And that is, I think, something of what God is seeing and experiencing as he looks on at man and woman. And this passage becomes the foundational narrative from which we find marriage. You know, for those of us who aren't married, you know, this is the picture that is, and we're going to pick this up in a week's time, where Jesus loves his church corporately as the bride, and Jesus being the bridegroom, coming together with the bride as one. And that's going to be an incredible day at the end of the age. And so what we're finding here is that intimacy with God is not only a very personal seeing into face-to-face experience with the divine, with the creator and the creature. But we're seeing that, that oneness, that union, 
is expressed with them together under God's care, under his vision, under his blessing. And then as we skip in into chapter 3, we see what this looks like in the Garden of Eden. Now it all starts to go wrong and disaster strikes, as we know, in Genesis 3. But when man and woman go rogue and go missing, what's going on? The creator is walking in Eden, in the cool of the day, verse 8. And man, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? Eden, the place where the uncreated comes together with this creature and provides union for them, but also is engaged and in the midst of that, together, close, looking to walk in the afternoon. And we know what that's like now. We've had some incredible sunsets, haven't we? And the nip of springtime, you know, requiring just some outer layers in the late afternoon. You can imagine God walking through, where are you? The desire, the intimate desire to be close with his children, even as they have been released to be close. And this is the foundational vision for intimacy with God. Together with him face to face, together with one another. And then disaster strikes. And God draws back at our decision, the decision not to be united with him, the decision not to listen to his voice, the decision to choose what is best for our own lives. And so God allows us to walk in our decisions. A curse comes on the earth. We are dislocated from him and dislocated from one another. Sin, that fracturous thing that turns us in on ourselves, pollutes relationships and union and intimacy. And God begins to release the great return even from there, through the law, through the temple, through the prophets, and through his son. And I'm just going to just tour through those ever so quickly for us now, just to see you know, God's heart. Um, has anybody found reading some of the law difficult? It, it's difficult because we read it thinking about ourselves as Westerners, as individuals, as people who are looking for helpful tools to live well for God, don't we? And yet, you know, the Copernican revolution we talked about uh, a few weeks ago online, when all glory goes to God, the Copernican revolution where I realised the whole world is not about me and my life, the whole world is about him. I had a revelation about how to read the law. And I was reading through some of the stuff in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Exodus, and I slowed myself down and I decided, if this stuff is important to you, Lord, then I'm going to read this slowly I'm going to read this seeking to honour you and I'm going to seek to find what is important to you. So just try reading the law like that 
And I suddenly found, I just came to the end of reading the law like that, and I suddenly just felt different. Because I'd suddenly come into the rhythm of God and what's important to him, rather than the rhythm of my own life and what I think is important to me. Does that make sense? So, I sent myself a challenge for you. I opened the law in a random place, and I thought, hey, let's just give this a go. So, let's turn to Exodus sorry, 36. Are you ready? Are you ready to find the grace of what's important to God in here? Exodus 36, picking up at verse 14. Are you ready? We're talking about the location now of Eden on earth within a tent, a tabernacle that God would make to be amongst his people. He also made, verse 14, curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. He made 11 curtains. The length of each curtain was 30 cubits and the width of each curtain was four cubits. The 11 curtains were the same size. He joined five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. He made 50 loops on the edge of the outermost curtain of the one set and 50 loops on the edge of the other connecting curtain. He made 50 clasps of bronze to join the tent together so that it might be one whole. And he made for the tent a covering of tanned ramskins and an outer covering of fine leather. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you catch that? Did you get caught up into God's rhythm? (laughs) Two animals are mentioned in here, aren't they? As they're constructing the tabernacle, the location of God's presence with his people. The walking in the cool of the garden in Eden. Where it was and now located in a tent, a travelling tabernacle for God's people. What were the two animals? Goats and and rams and sheep. Now what happens at the end of the age? People are divided into two lots, aren't they? What are they? Jesus said this in Matthew 26. They're divided into sheep and into goats. But all are invited, aren't they? We know that, don't we, from 1, 1, 1 Peter. That God desires that none should perish... All are invited. And even here, in the location of God's presence, which has so many curtains now, between intimacy and connection with God and his people, we see everyone invited. All nations knitted in to the very fabric of God's dwelling place. Sheep and goats, everyone invited. Does that make sense? I just thought, that just really stood out to me. Even there, everyone is invited. And God is reaching out to establish union, reaching out, imploring everybody to come to him. As the people of God find their own land, we find um, them asking for a king. And they get a king. And we have a couple of kings. And then they want to bring God's presence The Eden on earth into the place it's meant to be in Jerusalem. And David longs to build a house for the Lord, doesn't he? But he's not allowed. It's his son who gets to build it, and Solomon builds one. So let's turn to 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 6, and we find 
Intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Solomon said, having constructed a place for God to dwell, having built an Eden with bricks and mortar and fine vessels for God to come and dwell, Solomon says, chapter 6, verse 1, the Lord has said that he would reside in thick darkness. Verse 2, I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell forever and ever and ever. That's the place where the people of God can come and draw near to him. That's the place where in that context they can draw near and come near to God. They turn away from God. They Genesis 3 again. And they go into exile as we read last summer through the book of Daniel. Do you remember? They get taken off to Babylon. The kingdoms are destroyed. And then Jeremiah begins to prophesy. Let's pull out Jeremiah uh, as you flick on through the Old Testament, chapter 31. And the people of God are in Babylon. Do you remember we read about it last summer? They're in captivity. They're away from their homeland. Their si- the city of God is destroyed. The temple's been dismantled. Everything's lost. And Jeremiah begins to speak to them about a new time. Verse 31 of chapter 31, Jeremiah begins to say, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. He is saying to them in Babylon, in a place of exile, he's saying there's going to be a new thing, guys. There's going to be a new way of being with God, of knowing God, of enjoying oneness with God, of enjoying intimacy with him. Verse 32, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. A covenant though they broke, a covenant they broke that though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Verse 34, No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall each know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Jeremiah is saying, they're going to know me in their hearts. They're going to know my ways, my laws in their hearts and on their minds. It's not going to be the special ones. It's not going to be the great ones. It's not going to be the wealthy ones. It's not going to be the educated ones. They will all know me from the least to the greatest. And when's this new covenant arriving? What's his name? What's the most beautiful name? Jesus. Jesus. How do we know? Let's turn now in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8. Towards the end of the Bible... Hebrews chapter 8 has been reminding them all the ways that God has fulfilled the law, the ways that God has become in Jesus the new temple, the ways that God has fulfilled all the prophecies of the old covenant. And finally he says, that prophecy that Jeremiah spoke to the exiled people of God is met in Jesus Christ, the one 
who in whom God has been speaking, Hebrews 1 verse 1, for the last time. For the last time. Verse 10 in chapter 8. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. He's just a direct quote from Jeremiah 31. I will put my, my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They shall not teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I'll remember their sins no more. What does intimacy with God look like? Knowing him in our hearts and in our minds. Knowing oneness with him. Knowing union with him. Knowing him not physically face to face, but knowing him within ourselves. Knowing what he values, knowing his heart, knowing his voice, knowing his ways. We know right at the end of scripture that intimacy with God forever and ever is going to be where he himself returns to earth. And we don't need a sun anymore. We don't need a moon. For he himself will be our light. And his presence will fill all that is in all. That's the end. But right now, this is the covenant. that we get to know him. Now who brought that new covenant? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The one who reveals to us what true human existence is really looks like. Uh, Paul, the apostle, talks of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15 as being the last Adam. Paul talks in Romans chapter 5 about him being the better one, the better one than Adam, the second Adam and last Adam, the one who fulfills what Adam and Eve and all humanity were meant to enjoy in Eden, the, the place where the divine and the, the undivine, the creator and the creature, come together and dwell forever. It's Jesus who connects that. How does Jesus live out intimacy with God? Let's have a bit of audience participation. How do we see intimacy with God in the life of Jesus? Sorry, say, say louder, Evelyn. When he steals away, when he goes up a mountain, when he crosses a lake on his own, when he goes away from the gang to be with his father, that's, that's where we see it in Jesus. How else do we see it? The intimacy Jesus enjoyed was one where it wasn't just a 21st century self-fulfillment, was it? I'm going to know emotional wholeness. It wasn't that. His intimacy with the Father was a surrendered intimacy. What did Jesus cry out in the garden before they led him away and arrested him in betrayal? He cried out, not my will, but yours be done. But yours be done. I only say the words the Father gives me. I only do what the Father wants me to do. His is a surrendered union with God. 
Because if God is real, then he wants our surrender so that he can be God in our lives. Yeah, how else? He knew the word, didn't he? I love the way that they're constantly quoting the law and the prophets to Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't use new teachings. He uses the word to speak back to them and say, hey, listen, there's a better way of knowing this. Jesus knew intimacy with the Father through knowing him in the revelation of his word. How else? Yeah. Worshipping him. Praising him. Do you remember the disciples coming back, praising God because they've been just exercising demons and just they're full of it. And Jesus looks up in delight and he's like, Father, thank you that you reveal the kingdom to even such as these. And then he just reminds them to keep their eyes focused on the revelation of salvation that their names are written in the book of life. It's your good pleasure to give the kingdom. He's praising God. He's worshipping him. How is God speaking to you about knowing intimacy in your heart with him? How is God calling you to go deeper and deeper and deeper? That we will be like Jesus, hearing his voice, knowing what he's saying. I feel like Jesus, even though he was interacting with people all the time, be it debate with the religious authorities, be it in meals or conversations with his friends, I feel like Jesus is also dialoguing all the time with the Father, isn't he? Hearing him, hearing his voice, knowing what he's saying, loving him back, talking to him. How is Jesus calling all of us? How is the Father calling all of us to grow in intimacy with him? Is it knowing him in his word more and more? Is it stealing away from the distractions of life? Is it wasting time in his presence? Is it lingering to know what is his presence and what is the kebab I had last night? Is it listening for his voice to really hear it above? I'm going to finish with this final thought. The Levites, those called to minister to the Lord, the priests in the Old Covenant, those who were set apart to minister to God, they were not given an inheritance. Did you know that? Because their inheritance was the Lord himself. He was their portion and their prize. Now, you and I are called a kingdom of priests in the new covenant. As we learn to minister to the Lord, that he will be present and magnified as we serve the world. Intimacy with God is found in making him our portion and our prize.
as we come out of COVID, I want to be like the woman who takes a year's worth of wages and smashes it over his feet. What a waste of money. What a waste of time. What a waste of resources. What a, what a, what a hole in our budget. And yet she knew, he is my portion and my price. He is my inheritance. He's the one. You know, where, where the guys, it's so familiar, isn't it, where the guys just left their fishing business behind. I mean, it's astonishing, isn't it? They just said, they're fishing, you know, not very well, but they're fishing. And then suddenly, okay, we're going to follow him. Because he, he's everything. As they began to discover, he is the pearl of great price for which we sell everything to obtain. You know, in intimacy with God, the barriers that we have, the ram's curtains and the goat's curtains that we have between knowing deeper and deeper intimacy with God, it's just stuff in our lives, isn't it? The busyness of 21st century living. And I'm just running. I want to know you and all that you are be it leading to the sufferings that are part of knowing your resurrection, as Paul says, or be it knowing you above all the, all the seductions of this life. I want to know you, Father, and be united with you, Jesus, forever and ever. So how is he calling you to grow in intimacy with him? And let's take that into the next few weeks. We're going to look at the bridegroom and the bride next week. Jim's going to speak in a couple of weeks on intimacy with God with one another. And in three weeks' time, we're going to look at intimacy and its cost. That's our flow as we come into Easter. Jesus prayed in John 17. I'm going to take us to one final scripture. John chapter 17. We started with looking at what it looked like at the beginning and I think this is what Jesus had in mind when he began to pray for us and for those who were following after him. John chapter 21. I ask you, Father, not only on behalf of these, his disciples, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Not simply together, listen, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. We're caught up into Father, Son and Spirit, utterly united. We're caught up with the Trinity. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I'm just astonishing how we could, we can't forge unity on our own, can we? We've just seen in the last 12 months the impossibilities of human beings to agree on anything. <laughs> Haven't we? And it's been ferocious like never before. And Jesus prayed that we would be one in him that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
the glory that you've given me, I have given them that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I thank you that you are drawing us to yourself. Even as, you're, even as you are sending us out, and even as you are calling us to serve one another, you are drawing us into yourself. May we be one with you, and one with one another, that the world may believe that you sent your son Jesus to reconcile us back to yourself. Take us deeper and closer into you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to do some homework for next week, I've got two things. You could get from Amazon Prime, give you an opportunity to talk to someone outside of your household. <laughs> Tell them about Jesus. The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. Some of you may have read that before. It's incredible. So, short book, you could read it by next Sunday. The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And if you want to get ahead of the game in terms of the bridegroom and the bride, go on to BibleGateway.com, put in the Song of Songs, and read the Passion Translation. And it will bring it to life in a way that the NIV never really did for me. Here's your homework for next week. God bless you all. Amen.